Well, good morning. Any, uh, any of you go to Christmas parties last night? Any, any Christmas parties? Oh, we got some down here, some over here, yeah. All right, yeah, it, uh, it looked like it last night, Saturday night was, uh, you could definitely, in the, in the festive mood, you could tell, a lot of people gone, right? So, uh, good to see you, good to, good to see you here with us today. And uh, I, I think that's great. Now we're, uh, you know, we, we take donations for all kinds of things around here. Now we're collecting children for Bethlehem. I think that's, that's great. Um, yeah, that's really good. And uh, so uh, I was a little concerned when I heard uh, that we're going to have a little girl for baby Jesus. Wasn't sure what that was about. So I'm glad they're you know, advertising for boys now. But we're taking girls too. Is that right, Brian? Yes. Guess what? As long as it looks like kind of a baby, we're good. We're good. All right. Good. Yeah. Uh, well, I volunteer Caleb Cox. That's my volunteer because I, I'd say, I mean, he's on staff, right? Let's go for it. Let's, uh, let's get, him, get him worked in the thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's good to be with you. My name is Pastor Mike, and if this is your very first time, we usually have some first-timers every week, and so if your very first time, I want to welcome you. We're, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now, and inside of our weekend uh, program is a white message note sheet we use every week, and so especially if you're first time, you want to take that out so you can follow along, and I'm going to pray. And we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing here in our lives, in our church, and the way you're waking us up, calling us on, teaching us what it means to be a community of passionate Christ followers. And, and God, so we pray today as we come again and talk just really, really important topic, uh, what it means to be a healthy church in, in the area, gray areas. Uh, we pray that you would, you'd guide us and direct us. Pray you'd be with me as we speak, that speak your words. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our story starts today with a, a young couple uh, named uh, Josh and Katie, and uh, they've, they've been dating about three months. Um, they're, they're both passionate Christ followers. They're in a, the same 20-something kind of ministry at their church. Uh, it's not Rocky Peak, just to put you at ease. And um, anyway, they've been dating about three months, and I want to give you a little background to them. Okay? They, uh, uh, Josh is a senior at uh, a, a local state university, and um, uh, he, uh, he's a Christ follower. They're both passionate Christ followers. Uh, but they've gotten very different routes to get there. Uh, Josh became a Christian when he was a sophomore in college. He grew up a non-Christian home, pretty much wild child type of life. Partied all the way through high school, went to college, partied through his freshman year, the drinking, the drugs, the women, the whole thing. And about two or three months into his sophomore year, um, he, he was just kind of feeling empty in his life. There's got to be some more to life than this. And he ran into an old buddy from early high school days who was a Christ follower, and he invited him to come to church with him in his local 20-something group. And, and Josh didn't really think he'd enjoy it, but he was just kind of hungry, sort of empty, and so he said, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So he goes, and, and surprising to him, he likes it. And two or three months in, it's making a lot of sense to him. About three months in, he gives his life to Christ, and he's one of those guys who gets a good dose. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's some people when they come to Jesus, they just get a good dose, and man, it just, his life changes. In the last couple of years, he's been growing like crazy. So he's now a senior um, at that uh, college. Well, anyway, uh, Katie, very different life story. Parents are missionaries, grew up on the mission field. She grew up being homeschooled, never dated all through high school because she's being homeschooled. Came to the States for college, went to a small, went to a small Christian uh, college. Um, and it was kind of culture shock, you know, coming from a, another, another part of the world to, to the United States. But she adapted quickly and uh, started dating quite a few guys in college and just graduated uh, recently. And so now she's, uh, she's moved to this, this area where, this, where Josh is living. They're both attending the same 20-something group. They meet there in the summer Bible study 
And, uh, and they hit it off, and they just have a lot in common. They find themselves going to Starbucks or whatever after the meetings, and they're just they're sharing their lives, and they're just, they're just really connecting. And so after a couple months of that, they start dating, and now we're three months, and it's going really well. And they're excited. They think that they may have found the one. You know, this may be it. And, um, and the relationship in general is going really well, but there's one area they're having conflict. They've had significant conflict from day one, and, and it has to do with their physical relationship in, in now, they're both Christ followers. They're both committed to sexual purity. There's no question about that. But as you know, there's a lot of, room, there's a lot of space between holding hands and sleeping together. And so it's like, well, where's that line? You know, what's appropriate? What isn't appropriate? And, and they have very different backgrounds and very different standards. And so it's causing conflict. And the question is, how do they decide and who decides which of their standards should, should kind of rule or, or lead this relationship? Well, we'll come back to them later. But today, uh, we're going to continue this series that we've been in now since last February for brand new. It's a series called The Way, and it's a study in the life and teaching of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, the Apostle Paul is very famous. He's, uh, he's a guy that uh, was one of the leaders of the early church. He wrote about half the books in our New Testament. He's a tremendous Christ follower. And, uh, and so what we're doing in this series is we're coming alongside of him and we're asking him to mentor us and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to, to be a, move, a part of this ancient movement that Jesus started that was first called in the early church, they called it The Way. And so every week we start off with one of his longest, his most famous letter, his letter to the church of Rome, and then we launch from there into other things that he wrote on the same topic. So if you have your Bibles today, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 14. The topic on the table is gray areas. Now, if you were here last week, and by the way, I call them gray areas or gray matter. Um, some have complained that gray matter conjures up brains. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, it's kind of a play on where gray, gray matters. Uh, these are gray areas, and they do matter. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, uh, it, it, <laughs> wow, Neil, Neil's just like, I get it. I get it. I, okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, for those of you who weren't here last week and you didn't ask, listen to the pod, pod, podcast like I asked you to, let me bring you up to speed. Um, <laughs> A gray area, gray matter, is an area of the Christian life that's not a black or white area. It's not totally clear in the scripture or, or in Christians agree on. It's, it's usually a non-essential. This is not an issue of, it's a life or death spiritual issue, whether you go to heaven or not. It's, does it, it's not about who Jesus is, who we are, about our relationship at a core level. It's not about the core moral code of the New Testament, the no, certain non-negotiables, you know, uh, uh, sexual purity, uh, uh, telling the truth, uh, these sorts of being basic things. It's not about that. It's more about secondary issues that are important but not essential. And, uh, and these are the sorts of areas that Christians who, who love God and love his word will sometimes disagree on. Now, in the early church, in the, in, the, in the church of Rome, the particular gray areas they were struggling over was most of the Christians there were from a Gentile background, a pagan Gentile background. And so they'd not grown up with all the Jewish rules and customs about what you eat, what you can't eat, when you worship, what feasts you celebrate, and so on. They just come to Jesus. They didn't feel a need to continue these Old Testament rituals, okay? 
Now, on the other hand, you've got some, a few Jews in the church there, and they'd grown up very conservative people, and, and they felt like, hey, this is in the Bible, you know, we should still do this stuff. We should still obey all these food laws, and, and we should still uh, celebrate all the feasts and Sabbath, and we should only worship on the Sabbath and that sort of thing. And so there was conflict in their church, who's right, who's wrong. And what the Apostle Paul said last week is in these area of gray areas, now not in essentials, but in gray areas, these non-essentials, it's more important that we love one another than we get everything right. And so we need to learn to accept and love one another uh, even if the other person is wrong. The way we put it last week is it's better, it's more important to be good than it is to be right. Okay? But Paul does weigh in on this issue, and he says, you know what, as Christ's followers, we're not under all these Old Testament rules and regulations, and so it's fine to eat whatever you want, and you don't have to worship on just certain days or all the holidays. That, that's fine. And so he did weigh in on that issue. Now, as I said last week, we have our own gray areas today, don't we? We as Christians have these areas where we disagree. They're not essentials where solid Christians who believe in Jesus disagree. They might be theological. You know, when's Jesus coming back? What's the timetable? Uh, women in ministry, uh, as, uh, uh, pro, con, uh, uh, spiritual gifts, all exist today or not. Uh, predestination or for free will. Uh, they could be um, political issues. Who should we support? What issues should we support? How should we support them or not support them as a, as a church? They could be social issues. How do you feel about global warming? Or, or how should we deal with the poor in society? Or what about the economy? Or are we, uh, you know, uh, more capitalist or socialists? Or, you know, it's like there could be a million different issues. Uh, lifestyle things. Halloween, do you celebrate it or not? Drinking or smoking or dancing or what you watch or what you don't watch. And there's all these issues that are kind of gray areas where, where the Bible doesn't give a specific, here's what to do, and where honest Christians who love Jesus disagree. And so the question is, you know, what do you do in these areas? How do you decide what to do and what not to do? And how do you relate to those who disagree? So that's kind of the topic, all right? Now, last week we started chapter 14 and went through the first uh, 14 verses, and I promised you that this week we would go through the end of chapter 14 and then also the first half of chapter 15. But I lied or changed my mind, depending on how you want to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> but we are going to finish the, uh, the second half of chapter 14. It would just be too long to do the other. We'll, we'll pick up the, the first part of 15 next time. But anyway, um, we're going to be in the second half of chapter 14. So we're going to pick up uh, verse 13, kind of where we left off last time. And then we're going to go through the end of the chapter. And then we're going to come back. And here, the Apostle Paul today is going to give us four very helpful principles of how to decide in your life uh, what to do in gray areas, okay? So here we go. Chapter 14 and verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Now, you remember last week that this is what they were doing in the church, right? That the more conservative Christians, the Jewish Christians, they were looking, they were kind of passing judgment on the other Gentile Christians and say, I can't believe you call yourself a Christ follower. You're not even taking his word seriously. You're just like the world around you. You know, you're not following all these laws. And of course, on the other side, you had the more liberal uh, Gentile Christians looking down their nose at the more conservative Christians saying, I can't believe you're so legalistic. I can't believe you're so old school. Don't you realize the freedom we have in Christ? And so you have this conflict going on. And so he says, therefore, let us, not, let us stop uh, passing judgment on one another. 
But instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in your brother's way. In other words, make up your mind that as a Christ follower, you'll not do anything that trips up your, your neighbor. Okay? Now, we're not talking, as we'll see later, we're not talking about offend them or irritate them. We're talking about tripping them up. We're talking about damaging them. Okay? So we'll, we'll get to that. Now, as one who's in the Lord Jesus, in other words, I'm, you know, I'm a Christ follower, I'm an apostle, and so on, I'm fully convinced, Paul says, that, that no food is unclean in itself. And so we saw this last week. Paul weighs in on these issues, and he says, it's really okay to eat whatever you want. God has no problem with this. You're no longer under the Old Testament uh, law. If you want to have shrimp, have shrimp. You want ham, have ham, BLT, great, go for it, okay? And so it's really, there's no food that's unclean in itself. He says, but, look, this is very interesting. But if anyone regards something as unclean, in other words, in your conscience, you feel like it's unclean. Okay? So, so God says it's fine, but you still don't feel comfortable. You feel like, I don't think so. God, I know, you, you might, I, know, I, know, I know what you're telling me, but I'm not sure you're right. Um, and, um, and so, <laughs> yeah, and so I, I know, you know, God, you're getting a little liberal in your old age. You know, so I mean, it's longer, you know, um, that uh, if anyone regards something as unclean, then catch this, then for him it is unclean. Now catch this, very interesting. Um, I, I want to do a little sidebar here on conscience, okay? It's very important. You know, often in Christian circles, we think of our conscience as God, we think of our conscience as the Holy Spirit, as if the Holy Spirit and conscience are the same thing. I want to be, catch something very clear here, that our conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Our conscience is not God. Our conscience is our conscience. And what conscience is, it's our internal sense of right or wrong. What our conscience tells us is what, when we violate what we believe is right or wrong. That's what our conscience does. It's like a buzzer that goes off. Oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You don't think that's right. Okay? That, that's what our conscience is. Now, here's what I want you to catch. Our conscience is not always right. Our conscience can be too conservative or it can be too liberal. In fact, here's a great illustration where this person is more conservative than God. Right? Did, did you know that? It's possible to be more conservative than God. Some of you are. I've refrained from using any names, but, uh, but it's possible to, you know, see what I'm saying? That our conscience isn't necessarily right. I've known people who, who for example, on, can be more liberal than God, right? I've had people in my ministry come to me and say, hey, look, I'm not happy in my marriage. I've met this other woman. She makes me so happy, and I know God wants me to be happy. Therefore, I know it's his will for me to leave my wife and to be with this woman. And, and, I, and, I have, and my conscience is clear. I have perfect peace about this. Okay? Now, I've had this actually happen to me. Now, I would say in that case, well, your conscience is wrong. Okay? Yeah. Right? Your conscience is not really, uh, it's, it's off. It needs to be re-educated. Okay? But on the other hand, it's possible for our conscience to be con too conservative, right? It's, it, have you ever had this happen? You feel guilty over something that you find out later wasn't really wrong. It's just your, what your mother said. <laughs> right? And you found out your mother wasn't God. You thought she was, but, but she wasn't, you see? And so sometimes, you, are, you, are you with me on this? This is extremely important if we're going to follow the teaching today that it's possible to be more conservative than God. 
A conscience can be off and it needs to be registered. And here's this guy, this is his case, verse 14. As one who's in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean. So food's fine, but if anyone regards something as unclean, in other words, they think it is, their conscience is telling this, then for him it is unclean. So what he's saying here is when your conscience is wrong, you need to still pay attention to it. And we'll come back to that later, all right? Now, verse 15. Now, he's going to go talk about this whole idea of causing your brother to stumble. He says, if your brother is distressed because of what you eat. So it's fine to eat whatever you want, but if your brother is distressed by what you eat, he says, then you're no longer acting in love. So what he's saying is Paul's going to give us a couple examples. He's going to say it's fine to eat whatever you want, but there's a couple times when you shouldn't eat whatever you want. One is if you think it's unclean, your conscience is not clear. Another is if you cause your brother to stumble. That's the second exception where you shouldn't eat it. Now, he says, if you, if you eat something and it causes your brother to be distressed, and we'll see in just a couple seconds, when he says distressed, he does not mean irritated, offended, upset with you. He's not talking about that. He's talking about spiritually damaged He's causing about, like if something, if, you, if what you do causes your brother to be spiritually damaged, and we'll talk more about it, he says, then, then you're no longer acting in love. Now stop and think with me. This is the one rule that rules them all, right? This is what we've been learning in this last mini-series, chapter 12 through 14, created for community, that for us as Christ followers, there's one law that rules them all, right? It's the law of love. What would love do in this situation? And then we do it. That's the one thing as Christ followers we always do. And he says, okay, there's certain situations. It's fine to eat the food, but there's certain situations that were you to eat it, you would damage somebody. And in those cases, the law of love rules out, and you should be willing to give up your rights and give up your freedoms in order to protect someone else. Okay, you with me on this? Okay, you got the juice. Now, let's talk about this just for a second. Um, just so we get a, a clear of this, um, how would this happen? Like, how would it work that um, by my eating meat, it would cause someone else to be seriously damaged in their relationship with God? How would that happen? Well, let's go back to the first century. Most of these Christians were pagans. Before they came to Christ, they were worshiping at the temple of Apollo or Diana or Zeus or whatever. And you'd go to this, these, and these were social centers like churches, and you'd have these big dinners, and you'd, the, the, the sacrifices would be made to the gods, and then things would be, uh, uh, the meat would be slaughtered, and you'd often have dinners together and fellowship dinners, and, and it was all part of your social life, right? And so you'd worship the god, and then you'd have kind of fellowship with the god and with all the, the god's followers. That's the idea, which is also the idea of communion, by the way. That's also where that kind of idea, though, having a, a communal meal with our, with our Father, with God. And so anyway, but, and so, so now a person, let's say he comes to Jesus, and, and he knows, okay, I'm not supposed to do idolatry anymore. And so he, he no longer goes to the temple. He no longer participates in those, those feasts. But because he's young and immature, okay, he's a young believer, he doesn't get it, he, he just has this idea that, well, man, I shouldn't eat idol meat anywhere, because if I do, it's kind of like I'm participating in that feast. I mean, I'm not there, but I'm actually participating in it. And, and, and it's almost like, you know, this, this meat has like spiritual cooties or something. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's been it's sacrificed to an idol. It's been defiled. And if I eat it, I'm like taking the idol in. And you know what I'm saying? That kind of a deal. And so, so he's got this very strict idea in his mind that Christians should not eat meat sacrificed to idols. And, so, and if you do, you're participating with the idol. That's his mindset. Now, he's wrong because the, the meat doesn't bring you closer to God or doesn't really take you further away from God, uh, but that's his mindset, 
okay? And so he's a new believer, but it's hard for him being a new believer. He misses his old buddies at the temple. He misses the old times, you know, it's just like this. It's kind of, he's, he's, you know, he knows he can't go back, but he kind of, there's parts of it that he misses. And so now he's hanging out with you, and you have a dinner at your house, and you serve meat that's idle meat. You, you got a good deal. It was on the bang table at the, you know, the, at the, and so you're having a barbecue, and, and so he's like, Hey, where'd you get that meat? Oh, I got it from Joe's Mark. Oh, he gets all this stuff from, he, he buys extra idle meat. You know, it's like, that's all, yeah, it's idle meat, you know? And so you're like, oh, Christians shouldn't be eating idle meat. We're participating. Oh, no, it's fine. You know, go ahead. And, and because of the peer pressure or whatever, he goes, okay, I guess if Joe can do it. And so he violates his conscience now. He says, okay, he, he does what he shouldn't do. And, and now perhaps he's even compromised more. Well, hey, if Mike thinks it's okay to eat the idol meat, maybe I could, it's still okay for me to hang out at the temple. I could do both. I go to church there. I could go here, you see. And, and so all of a sudden, I could be causing my brother to compromise his conscience by eating idol meat and perhaps even leading him back into a, a, a lifestyle of idolatry. You see how this works? Okay, so this is the kind of scenario. I wouldn't know if exactly that's what Paul's got in mind, but this is the kind of scenario that would cause a brother to, to be damaged. So it's not just like offended, it's damaged, compromised. In fact, you'll, you'll see that as we go along. He says, look at the next thing, middle of verse 15. Do not by your eating destroy. You see that word? This is what he talks about by distressing him. He says, do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ would die. Well, how it would destroy him if he compromised his conscience or he goes back into idolatry, that would destroy him. Okay, do not allow, do not allow what you consider to be, uh, to be con- a good thing to be spoken of as ev- uh, evil. I mean, it's fine to eat the meat, you feel good about it, but don't put yourself in a place that would cause this to be seen as a bad thing. For he says, because the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, it doesn't really, it's not a matter of that, um, it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he says this new kingdom we're a part of, this new movement of Jesus that we're a part of, it doesn't, it's not about eating and drinking. It, eating or drinking doesn't bring you closer to God. It doesn't take you further away from God. Um, he says, but it's about righteousness, doing the right thing. It's about peace, getting along with one another in this new community. It's about joy, a new excitement and zest for life and excitement about what God's doing. And so he says, that's what it's about. And so if you have to, like, give up your, your meat one night so that you don't damage a brother, it's worth it because the kingdom's about this other stuff. It's not about eating meat or, or, or whatever. Okay, verse 18. Uh, because anyone who serves Christ in this way, giving up our rights, is pleasing to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace in the community and to mutual edification. I'll build you up and help you grow. You build me up and help me grow. So do not destroy the work of God. Catch that word destroy again. I want to be very clear. It's going to be important later on that when he said earlier um, to distress someone, he's talking about destroy. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. Catch that. Second time he said it, nothing wrong with the food, but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So he's given us two times when you shouldn't eat the meat. Normally it's fine, but if your conscience isn't clear, that's one time. Number two is if it causes someone to stumble, trip, fall in their relationship with God. Now look at verse 21. He expands the principle out to all gray areas. It's not just a matter now of of, uh, uh, eating food or, or drinking wine or whatever. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything catch that, that will cause your brother to stumble. So it's a broader principle than just eating meat or just celebrating uh, holidays or uh, certain uh, religious holidays. 
22. Now catch this. Well, whatever you believe about these things, these gray areas, keep between yourself and God. Or it's, it's just, uh, as you're working this through in your own life and you come to your certain convictions about what God wants you, just kind of keep it to yourself. Don't feel like you have to go on and put your, your issues on everyone else. I don't know if you've ever met Christians like this, but their first question is, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. What do you believe about predestination? <laughs> it, seriously. You're a Christian. What do you believe about the King James Bible? Well, you're a Christian. Do you celebrate Halloween? It's, we can do this, right? It's like, okay, well, great, you're a Christian, so you're in the kingdom. We're going to live together forever. God loves you and he accepts you. But what I want to know is how do you feel about Halloween? You see? And we have our own little list that we want to run people through and say, do you match up with me? Because I'm not sure I want to be friends with you if you don't have the right view on predestination. You see? You see what I'm saying? And so what Paul says, he's saying, uh, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Not, not we can ever talk about it, but don't like start putting them on everyone else. We'll talk about it more later. Um, Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. It's just a great place in life to come to a place where you're con- you know what God wants you to do. You're at peace with that. You can enjoy that. You know, you enjoy the freedom of heaven Christ. It's a great place to be. He says, but on the other hand, the man who doubts, and he's going back to the issue of conscience now. The man who doubts, he's not clear on this issue instead of eating meat. He's, I don't think I should be eating that. Uh, he's condemned if he eats. Underline that. Catch this. This is very important. I want you to catch this. God says it's fine to eat whatever you want, but if you don't think it's fine and you go ahead and you violate your conscience, it's, you're condemned. Like God will hold you accountable for that. Because, why? Because his eating is not from faith. In other words, his, uh, remember the word faith in this passage in Romans 14 and 15, it's our spiritual conviction. He says, so the, the reason you're condemned is not because what, what you're doing is wrong, but because you believe it to be wrong. And remember what we talked about last week, how our motives matter? And so remember we talked about last week, hey, if we're being maybe overly conservative, but we're doing it for the Lord, he, he looks and says, hey, they're making the wrong decision, but they're doing it for me. I love that. I'm pleased with that. We'll straighten them out later. In the same way, when we, we do something, we say, I, I don't think I should be doing this. And it's maybe it's something that's okay with God, like eating the meat. I don't think I should be doing it, but I'm going to do it anyway because of peer pressure. God says, I'm going to hold you accountable. Why? Because your heart's wrong. I'm looking at your heart, and your heart is saying, I'm not going to be obedient in this issue. Right? So he's condemned because his eating's not from faith. And, and catch this, everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. In other words, everything we do as a Christ follower, we should be doing it because of our internal conviction. This is what Jesus would have me to do. And if, I, if I'm not living out of that internal conviction, if I think, oh, Jesus wouldn't have me to do this, I'm going to do it anyway, it's sin. And notice how, what a strong statement that is. What, it's possible to sin without sinning. Are you catching this? That it's fine to eat the meat. It's not a sin to eat the meat. But if you think it's wrong and you eat the meat, it is sin. It's possible to sin without sinning. Okay, to be more conservative than God. Okay, so there's a passage. Now, what I want to do in the time we have today is take some time and talk about gray areas. And it's just such an important area of our life because when you stop and think about it, so much of following Jesus is in gray areas, isn't it? There's all kinds of issues. You've got to decide, well, what movies do you see? Or, well, should I drink alcohol or not? Or on this issue of global warming, what's a Christian to do? Or uh, this social issues here? Or in vitro fertilization, should we? I mean, there's just a bazillion issues that fall into gray. And so, so as Christ followers, it's important to know how to do gray well. 
And so this is one of those, those passages where you don't walk, we're not going to walk out of here today want to storm the gates of hell for Jesus. Woo, what's that inspiring? This is one of those messages, it's just so like meat and potatoes of the Christian life. Like this is where the action is every day of our life. And so Paul's going to lay out just some, some four really helpful principles. And here's number one. Your section there called Thinking Gray, there's three always and one never. I know there's three things we're always to do, one thing never to do. The first always goes like this. We should always start with the word. In these matters of gray areas, we should always start with the word. Like our first question should always be, in one of these gray areas, is does the Bible speak to this issue or are there certain biblical principles that might inform what I should do in this issue? And often there are. Now, sometimes there aren't. There are many times there aren't, but often there are. And I want to give you an example that we've just talked about in the last couple weeks here. Remember two weeks ago, I did a message called Sex and Drugs. Does anyone remember that message? Yeah, Yeah, I figured. (laughs) It's like one message. Oh, yeah, we remember that one. It was really good. Um, And and we talked about sex. We talked about alcohol and attitudes. These would be two, two examples of gray areas. And what we, what we saw is that in the Christian community, we've often had bad teaching on these two topics, right? We saw that, for example, in many Christian circles, it's, almost, it's often been stated, or if not stated, kind of assumed or, or intimated, that, that sex is not a good thing, that, that sex is a bad thing, that, that this is something that, you know, it's kind of a necessary evil at best. And, uh, man, if you do it, make sure the lights are off because God doesn't want to see what's going on down there. And, and just kind of, you know, this kind of whole mentality, you know, that this is not, you know, it's like it's kind of dirty. It's kind of wrong. It's just like, oh, man, you shouldn't be having that much pleasure. Just knock it off. You know, it's a little bit's okay, but you're going overboard. Um, and so, uh, so that's kind of, you know, the, the, and then on alcohol, we, we've talked about this, how in many Christian circles that it's been often pot, if you, taught that if you, <laughs> often been pot. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, in many cases, it's often been pot, so I'd say alcohol is a better alternative. Um, uh, we've seen that, you know, it's often like, oh, Christians shouldn't drink. I was talking with my mom this week, and, and uh, of course, uh, she was from a, a previous generation, obviously, <laughs> than me. And so, um, anyway, yeah, some of you are like, really? Well, let me say, put that together. Um, anyway, she was saying when she was young, like a teenager, she went to a church, and, and they were actually would pass out cards in their youth group that's with a commitment that you would never drink alcohol in your life. You'd, make, you'd sign a lifetime pledge that she's since broken, by the way, that, um, <laughs> mom, that's for you, uh, uh, that, that you know, you'd never drink alcohol. And, and so you could see that how this, you know, this, there was a time when it, it was taught like that. Okay, so now the, here's a, well, the question, well, what did we do in that sermon two weeks ago? What we did is we simply went back to the Word and said, well, what does the Word teach on this? And what we saw is that God is not anti-sex. He's very pro-sex. He created sex. He thought it up. He went to great lengths to design our bodies to respond with intense pleasures. He's written a whole book of the Bible on sexual love and romantic love. And so sex is a good thing, and he's all for it. You know, he's not like, like closing his eyes. You know, like, what are you doing down there? So, uh, th- so we, 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 what we're doing, we're trying to re-educate our conscience, Right? We, we come in and we, we have certain ideas and we're, we're saying, well, what does the Bible really say? We did the same with the whole of alcohol. We saw that in the Old Testament, many times wine is used as a, a great picture of, of relationship with God or blessing in our lives. We saw that when Jesus comes back, we're all going to toast one another with the finest of wines, Isaiah 25. And we, we saw that Jesus' very first miracle, he made 150 gallons of really good stuff that was definitely alcoholic. And so what we did is we challenged that gray area of teaching by the word. 
And this needs to be what we just get in the habit of doing in our lives or as a church. That whenever there's a teaching, whenever we have an opinion on some issue in a gray area, we need to say, does the word speak to this issue? And uh, because here's the reality, when we first come to Jesus, or even long after we've come to Jesus, we all have opinions on things, right? I mean, we have our opinions, and our opinions are based on just a wide variety of input. It could be old teaching, it could be of a verse we read, it could be of a, 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 les- uh, a lesson that was given by a particular teacher, it could be from our parents. And so we all have all these ideas of what does it mean to follow Jesus? And we all have, we all have them, and the, the fact is some of them are right on the money, and some of them are out in left field. And so the only way we grow and re-educate our conscience is through the word, right? That we, we come to say, does the Bible speak to this issue? And so as a church, this is the church we want to be, is that as we come over the years to certain ideas or whatever, say, well, let's examine this. What does the Bible say about this? Now, it will not always speak directly, often on principles, but, but is, does the Bible address this? Okay, so that's number one. The first thing we need to do is we need to start with the word. Now, number two. Oh, by the way, this is what the Apostle Paul did in this section of Scripture. I want you to look at this in chapter 14 of verse 14. As one who's in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. Now, what's he doing? As an apostle, he's bringing the word of God to them. They have this issue, should we eat, should we not eat? They're disagreeing. And as an apostle, he's saying, let me give you a word from the Lord on this issue. Or you look down at verse, uh, what is it, uh, 20, the middle of the verse, all food is clean. So most of his time in this passage, he's, he's, he's spending on saying, hey, it doesn't, the biggest issue is not whether you're right or wrong in gray areas. The biggest issue is do you love one another? But in the midst of it, he says, but let me bring you the word on this issue. And so he, he brings the word. What's he doing? He's trying to re-educate their consciences in this situation. Okay, number two. Now, the second principle is that we need to always be willing to give up our rights. Um, as Christ followers, there's certain freedoms that we have. And Paul's given us some examples here. It's totally clear. It's fine to eat the meat. You're free to do that. But there are times when we need to give up our freedoms, give up our rights. And, and that's when, when it would damage someone else. And so he lays this out in 1421. Let's look at that, 1421. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to stumble. So, okay, Paul, is it okay to drink wine? Yes, it's okay to drink wine. But is there a time when I shouldn't drink wine? Yes, if it's causing your brother to stumble. Um, Now, what would that look like today? Like, what what would that look like? Uh, We talked about what it looks like then with idle meat. Let's take the example of alcohol, just because it's a a simple, kind of clear illustration. But it might look like this. Let's, Let's say that typically you go to a Dodger game, and you always get your Dodger dog, and you get your beer. Right? And that's what you do. And you don't overdo it or anything, but you, you get your dog drunk and you get your beer. And that's what you typically do. And you feel as, as a Christ, well, I'm free because it says what I eat or drink. It's not about what the kingdom of God's about. It's I'm free to do that. But is there a time when you should give up your beer with your Dodger dog? And the answer is yes, there are times. Look, let me give you two or three examples of times when I would give it up personally. Um, let's say that I was there uh, and I was with a, uh, like a, an underage student 
Or let's say, let's say you're the Dodger dog person. You're a college-age student. You know, you're 24. You're working with high school students. And, and the high school student you're with is 16 years old, and, and he's kind of on the fence whether to follow Jesus. So one of the temptations in his life is underage drinking. And all of his buddies drink, and he's going to parties, and, and so this is an issue for his life. And he knows his conscience is telling him he shouldn't be doing it. It's illegal for him to be doing that. And yet he's being tempted like this. And now he's look, sitting with you, and you're 24 years old, and you're 8 years older than him, and you're the cool guy, and he really likes you, and you're having your, your beer, and he wants to be like you. You see? And so now he, you're, you're, you're putting him in a place of temptation where he's being tempted to violate his conscience. And what do we say? We saw that when we violate your conscience, you do sin, right? And so we're putting him in a situation where it would be uh, dangerous for him spiritually. Or let's say you're at that same game. And you're with someone, and, and you're 36, and they're 34, and they've just recently come to Jesus, but they've come out of a lifestyle of heavy partying. And what God's really put in their heart is because of their heavy partying background, they need to do no alcohol, you know, because they just, they need to make a break with their old life. And you're, you're there, and you're their new friend, and, and you've hit it off, and, and you're having the beer, and now you're putting them in a situation where they're being tempted to violate their conscience. Or let me give you another one. This is even uh, more, I think, uh, to the point of what he's saying here. Let's say that you go to that same game, and you've had, you're with a, a buddy you just met in your life group. And, and you've, you've been in a life group, and it's like five weeks into the quarter, and this guy just came in the first week of the quarter. He's brand new. And he's only been there five weeks. You don't know him very well, but you've picked it up that this guy, Jack, he's pretty conservative. He came from a pretty conservative church, a pretty legalistic church, and you've picked that up. And he's come to Rocky Peak, and he's really loving it, and he's growing it, and there's new teaching, there's new ideas, and he's just, he's really growing. And yet, in his mind, his worldview tells him that anyone who drinks a beer is and does not take Jesus seriously. That's what his worldview has told him his whole life. And so now you're there, and if you were to drink with him in front of him, it's very likely that he would write you off. It's like, I thought this was a cool guy, but he's obviously not taking Jesus seriously, and you would lose the right to influence him, and he may even drop out of Rocky Peak because, oh, they're kind of a lightweight church. They don't take Jesus seriously there, and he would miss the opportunity to grow. Now, are you with me on these things? Okay, so there are times when you say, hey, I, I, I don't want to damage this person spiritually. I don't want to put them in a situation they're tempted to violate their conscience or I'm going to lose influence in their life or whatever. And so there should be times we say, hey, I'm willing to give up my freedoms. Be for, love, for the sake of love, I'm willing to give up my freedom. Are you with me? Okay, now, this can be overdone, though. Uh, they're, they're in some parts of the Christian community, this principle can be overdone. Because remember what we learned that when it says that someone's being distressed, it's not talking about just irritated, upset with you, or mad at you. It's talking about being destroyed. It's talking about being truly damaged. I remember when I was a young pastor, there was another kind of sister church in our area, and talking to the pastor, he told this one story that just, I just love the story. It always stayed with me to this day, and that was like over 20 years ago. And what it was was, you know, they were a small church. We were a small church. They had like one or two pastors on their staff. We had a couple pastors on our, our staff. And, and so he gets this call one day, this pastor gets this call, and someone in their church uh, uh, had seen, a, uh, seen their youth pastor from their church go into a liquor store in town. And so this person was calling him to say, I saw our youth pastor, and he was going into a liquor store, and I think we, I think we need to come down on him. I think we need to, and I love it, because what this pastor said is just very quick. He said, 
We don't play those kind of games here. And I love that answer. Now, that person who's calling in, they are very negative on the youth pastor, aren't they? They are being very critical. But is there any chance in the world that's going to cause them to stumble in their relationship with Jesus? No, not at all. They're just a crotchety old Christian. <laughs> right? They're not like, I saw the youth pastor going in there, so I'm going out and getting stoned tonight. You know? <laughs> I've got my Jack Daniels, and I'm going. That's If he can do it, there's no danger of that. They just are this old, kind of cranky person that just is like, they're not doing the right thing. We need to come down on them. You see, you see what I'm saying, the difference here? And so for the one person, you'd give up your rights because you're truly putting them in danger. For the other person, I think they need a mild rebuke. You're out of line. And you know, that's like inappropriate. You're just being cranky. That's not biblical. That's not Jesus. You know, that's just being cranky. You see? All right. So that's number two. But we need to be, always be willing to give up our rights. Okay, number two. Number three. Number three is important. We should never violate our conscience. So we've had two always, now we have a never. But we never want to violate our conscience. So we, we've seen this. It's so interesting that Paul has been absolutely clear that it's okay to eat whatever you want, right? Let's look at 14, 14 again. Just to, I just want to nail this down. 14, 14. As one who's in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself, that it's okay to eat or drink whatever you want. That's fine, okay? That's the answer. But it's possible that in this community, there were some who were more conservative than God in this, and they felt like for them to eat the meat, it was unclean. And Paul is very clear. If you think it's unclean, for you it is unclean. Do you see that? Verse 14. But if anyone regards something as unclean, for him it is unclean. Skip to the last verse of the chapter, 23. The man who doubts is condemned if he eats uh, because his eating is not from faith and everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. So, of course, why? The question is why. Why would it be God be upset with us for doing something he really thinks is okay? And again, the reason goes back to our hearts. Because when we violate our conscience, our conscience members our internal sense of right and wrong. And so when we violate our conscience, basically what we're saying is, God, I don't care what you think. I want to do what I think. And even if we're wrong on the technical, you know, wrong in like God's opinion, it's that attitude that will kill us spiritually. One of the most important spiritual principles of life, and I, I tell you this all the time just to keep us up to speed on this as a congregation, is obey what you know, and God will show you more. Disobey what you know, and God will show you less. Right? One of the most important principles of life. So what happens when a very conservative believer says, hey, I'm going to violate my conscience? Well, man, it's the fastest way to destroy your relationship with God. So even if your conscience is right, you obey it, you follow it, and then you continue to seek the word, you continue to seek wise counsel, you pray about it, and you pray that God will give you clarity in this issue, but you never violate your conscience. Now, let's talk about just how this might work out. Let's go back to our story. We started the day with, with Josh and Katie, okay? There's, there's two the young couple that met and so on. Now, I want to come clean on this. This is a fictional story, okay? Usually I tell you true stories. Aren't you glad? Um, 
almost always tell you true stories. Every once in a while, I'll make one. I'm waking up. I typically tell you when that this case. And uh, this is it's a, it's a fictional story, but it's a composite story. It's a story based in truth because I've worked with tens and probably hundreds of couples on this issue um, of hey, you're dating. One person has stricter standards in this physical area than the other. What, how do we decide it? And so, so it's, a, it's a case study. It's kind of a composite study of a bunch of people, all right? We're going to call them Josh and Kate. Let's kind of run their story out a little bit. So they're having conflict over what to do in, their, in the physical relationship, and they have different standards in their conscience, right? Now, you might guess that Josh would be the more aggressive person, the person personally. After all, he's the man. And then, and then secondly, uh, secondly, on top of that, you know, he's the guy that has this wild sexual background. So you might expect that he's the guy who's kind of pushing the envelope a little bit, but it's exactly the opposite. Uh, the way this case story works out is that Josh is not, he's the one who has the more conservative standards. Because he's come to Jesus, he's had this wild sexual background, and he knows himself well, and he knows that for him to follow Jesus, he needs to have very strict standards. Because once he gets his engine going, it's really hard to stop that thing. He's been down that slope before. And so, uh, and so he, he, in fact, he actually read a book, and the book suggested that the best way to do dating is to not have your first kiss until you kiss at the altar, that that's the best way when you're getting married uh, that you, you have your first kiss there. And he's really bought into that. He feels like God's put that in his heart, and so that's his standard. And by the way, I've married more than one couple that have had that standard. It's really been a blessing to them. So anyway, that, that, um, that's Josh, right? That's his standard. That's what he feels like God's put in his heart. Now, Katie, on the other hand, yes, she came from the more conservative background, but once she got into college, she had several dating relationships, and so she would really like more physical affection, more physical contact in the relationship. They're both committed to sexual purity. They just have different standards of what they feel God's called them to do. Are you, are you with me? They say. Now, the question is, in a situation like that, how do you decide what to do? And here's what Paul says. The first thing you never do is you never violate your conscience, okay? You never violate. So he'd say, Josh, he'd say, Katie, first of all, Katie, the worst thing you could ever do for Josh is push him past his comfort zone. And he would say to Josh, Josh, the worst thing you could ever do is give in on your standards in order to please Katie, just to make her happy. Because why? Because we saw it. When we violate our conscience, it is sin, right? Now, as they continue to pray and discuss about it, he may feel like God's leading him differently. He may feel different, and that's fine then if, if that changes. Here's what I found in the area of conscience, is that conscience is one of those things that's very hard to re-educate. It's very stubborn. And if you've been brought up in a very legalistic background, that's really hard for you to kind of move into some new freedom in Christ. And so, so it might take a while, and it might take some processing, and so what I'm, I'm not saying that, hey, before you take a new step in your freedom in Christ, that you wait until you're absolutely 100% you're sure. I'm not saying that because I think it's hard to ever get to 100%. I think it's always you have the voice of your mother or the voice of that old pastor or the voice of that book. There's always, you know, it's always there. But it's very important that you, as you seek God, you wait until a point where you really feel like, I, I still struggle with this some, but I really believe God's leaving me to this freedom. And we begin to take some small steps and see as God blesses that, all right? So the one thing we never do is we never violate our conscience, and, and it's a process. Now, what this also says 
is it's very important that we never cause someone else to violate their conscience, right? And in Christian circles, we can do this sometimes, right? We can, t- we can take a more conservative brother and we can say, hey, man, loosen up, man. Have a beer. It's fine. We can take it up and we can say, hey, loosen up. Come to that movie. You're so, oh, I can't believe you. You're so conservative. And we can come alongside of a more conservative brother or sister and we can, we can push them, can't we? We can push them to violate their conscience. And men and women, we've got to understand, when we're doing that, we're pushing someone to sin, right? And so we never want to be in a situation, we need to take each other's consciences very, uh, just really cherish them, be very carefully, and so we're not in that situation. And then as we continue to seek God, as we continue to seek wise counsel, we can seek his direction, and if our, if our minds change, then that's great. And, and if you come to a place where you think God approves of this, then that's great, because now you'll be uh, blessed, as Paul said, you're blessed in what you approve, okay? But you never want to violate conscience. Okay, number three. Four, as I was saying. <laughs> yeah, the third always. That's what I meant. Um, okay, number four. Uh, here's the last one. And this one's kind of been very important. The last principle is always keep your personal convictions personal. Always keep them. Now, this flows out of 1422. So whatever you believe about these things, (laughs) these gray areas, keep between yourself and God. Don't feel like you have to go on a personal crusade to convince everyone else. Um, Just keep them between yourself and God. And so here's a very important spiritual growth principle is that as a Christ follower, there are going to be times when the Holy Spirit comes to you in certain gray areas and he gives you some specific instructions for your life, okay? Um, and they're going to be very important for your spiritual growth. Like, for example, he may come to you and say, you need to give up TV. Some of you are like, I hope that's not me. <laughs> um, you need to give up TV. Uh, he may come to you and say, uh, you, you need to uh, uh, stop reading those kind of books. You need to stop seeing those kinds of movies. You need to stop hanging out those kinds of places. You may, you, uh, you may need to start spending some more time with me. You need to get up and give me an hour every morning uh, at 5.30 and spend an hour with me. Uh, you need to start fasting in your life. You, may, uh, you need to change your priorities. You need to start having a date night with your wife. And, and what I'm saying is that this is not just a good idea. This is really, you're sensing this is from the Lord. Okay? In other words, for you to disobey this would be to disobey the Lord. Are you clear with me? So it's a gray area, but the Holy Spirit's giving you specific direction for your growth process. And when that happens, I want to catch this, it is so important that we obey because it's critical to your spiritual growth. But it's so tempting when God gives us specific direction for our life and it works really well because we follow it and we begin to grow then it's so tempting to take the next step and start putting it on everyone else, isn't it? Like you too need to give up your TV, right? Because TV is like an idol. Like look at you. You worship it. You're right there in front of it. You give them directions. Mm, And if anyone steals your idol controller, you get very upset, right? 
And this is how you control your life. This is your God, you know. And so they begin to talk to you about this. Or they begin to say, I can't believe you see those kinds of movies. Or I can't believe you listen to that kind of music. Or I can't believe that that you don't get up at 5.30 every morning. Or you don't have a a daily quiet time that lasts X amount of time. Or I can't believe you've never this or you never, you see what I'm saying? And it's all gray stuff. But we, we have this tendency, we want to take what's worked for us and put it on others. And this is so dangerous and can destroy us in the body of Christ. Um, I think of my own life, for example. I can think of several things that God's asked me to do over the years that were very important for my own spiritual growth. They're hugely important at the time. And let me just run through a few of those. It can just give you a feel. Um, there was a time in my life when I felt like, uh, we've talked about alcohol, so let's use that. When my kids were moving into middle school age, I felt like God very specifically put in my heart that during my middle school and high school years, my daughter's life, I was not to drink alcohol or have alcohol in her home. I just felt like it, it was a confusing time of life. They didn't need more confusion on that issue. And I, it's like God put that in my heart. Like I would have been disobedient if not. Um, there was a time in my life where I felt like God called me to give up sports for many years. Uh, kind of absolutely. No more sports pages. No more TV. No more, like, no sports. And I was an avid sports fan that he wanted to do some new things in my life. He needed that time. Uh, there was a time in my life where I felt like he wanted to be fasting on a regular basis. And two days a week, I would fast on a, on a regular uh, basis. There's times in my life where I felt like he only wanted me to live, listen to worship music, no secular music. There's been times in my life where I felt like he, there's certain kinds of novels or genre of novels. No, I don't want you to read those anymore. You follow me with this. That over the course of my life, I could go on and on with times where I felt like the Holy Spirit said, for this, your next season, this, this is what you need to do. Hey, but it would be so damaging if as a pastor, I put that on you. You see? It would be so damaging if I came and said, hey, guys, if you really want to follow Jesus in your life, you need to give up sports. It would also clear out the church. <laughs> it would be like, well, women, good to have you here today. Today I'm speaking on decorating the home. And, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Just kidding. I know some of you women are sports fans. Um, I don't consider ballet sport, by the way. But anyway, uh, <laughs> just to be clear, I don't consider golf a sport either. So it's more I'll even. Okay. So let's just close in prayer and go on home. I've alienated everyone now. Uh, but you see how damaging that would be. Or how damaged I'd be if I came and said, you know, fasting is a, it's a key uh, spiritual discipline in the New Testament. Jesus, you know, you need to be fasting at least one day a week. Or, you know what, it's important for us to spend time with God. If you're not spending an hour with God every day, uh, or if I came and said, you know what, our marriage is important. You need to have a date night every week, and if you don't, you're not committed to your marriage. Or uh, You see, I can go on and on here. You see how damaging it can be. And what happens, that happens in Christian circles all the time, that God works, in, especially in the life of leaders in a certain way, and then leaders put it on everyone else. You see, and all of a sudden, uh, Jesus' burden is no longer light. Where he said, my burden is light. His burden has become very heavy. Because anytime we're trying to do something the Holy Spirit's not leading to do, let me tell you, it gets heavy fast. When the Holy Spirit's leading you to do something, the burden's light. When the Holy Spirit's not in it, that thing gets heavy fast. Right? And so it's so important as a church that we trust each other in this, that we want to be a community of passionate Christ followers. Here's what I want for you. I want you to passionately follow Jesus. And to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you from God's word, that is a calling for all of us. But then after we get our hearts right, 
And after we're open to do whatever he wants, guess what? Then the Holy Spirit, he will tell you what you need to do for your life. And, and I need to trust that he will direct you as he directs me, and you trust that he will direct me and the person next to you as he directs you. And we give each other freedom because we all are passionately want to please him, and he will direct us individually, see? And then that becomes a healthy community where I'm growing off of you and you're growing off of me, and yet I don't feel restricted, this, like this, this bondage that whatever works for you works for me. And so important as a church, we learn this lesson well, and we learn it early, that we, we, we learn this as our future, that we are in a church who passionately follows Jesus, but we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to guide each person in these gray areas, and, that, and we're going we're to give each other freedom in these areas. All right? So four principles. Let's just do a real quick review, and then we'll be done. So there's four things that he teaches. Number one, as a church, always go back to the word. We're not going to stand on tradition. Even if it's good Christian tradition, we're always going to evaluate everything by, is this what the word says okay? in these gray areas? Number two, we want to always be willing to give up our freedoms. If it's going to truly damage someone, or keep them from growing. Number three, we're never going to violate our conscience or encourage someone else to violate theirs, even if we think they're wrong in their conscience. And number four, we're going to learn to keep our personal convictions personal. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word. What a great passage of scripture. Just so wise, so much truth, so much freedom, so much clear direction on how to handle ourselves in these gray areas. And so, God, we thank you for this. And we pray, Lord, that we would be that church that does pursue you with a whole heart day after day, that we would be humble, that we would be mindful, that we'd give each other grace, we would not put our things on others. We would trust as we all pursue you together day after day that you'd guide us. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. We're going to finish up our service by singing that song day after day. And I love this song. It's one of my favorite worship songs. Just a, a being a, a church of passionate Christ followers, seeking him day after day, and yet being humble, being mindful, not putting our things on others. It's a great way to end. And so we're going to take our offering at this time. We're going to collect our registration cards.